Well, good morning, Grace Chapel. Hey, Stephen. I don't know where you are, but I heard you. Oh, this is Logan. Oh, you're so, you're so good friends. You just sound alike. Well, it's Youth Sports Sunday, and all of our youngins that usually go over there, first and second service, we're in here this morning for a very specific reason. Kevin's going to be talking to us this morning, but before we do that, I want to tell you, youth and parents, about our middle school camp. If you're going into sixth grade next year, or you're leaving eighth grade this year, um, we invite you to go to Chicago with us. It's July 15th through the 19th. We're going to be at Wheaton College with Student Life Mission Camp. Yeah, it's a camp. So we have 2,000 students in one room, massive worship, drama speaking. But in the afternoons, we go out. We paint fences. We go to retirement homes. And so our middle school is going to that. And we want to invite you. We have a few spots left open. And if you sign up, uh, you get a free wristband. And if you've already signed up, make sure you stop by the table out there and get one. Show him, show it off, Logan. He's like, it's this right here. That's right, because he's excited that he is going. All right. So if you want to sign up, you say, how do I do that? It's a $50 deposit. Some of you are going, I don't have kids. That's great. I, that's, that's not great that you don't have kids, but that's fine. And if you want to get involved, you can give a scholarship to send a kid who wants to go that can't afford it. It's a great way to give back. So if you have some extra money and you, you know what it's like to be a parent trying to get your kid to summer camp, this is a mission camp that you can give to. A couple other things. We have our summer calendar out. It is also at the information table, so grab one if you're a parent. And if you're a parent and you've never received our parent uh, update emails. We have a three-minute video that we send out every other week, every week, just uh, to update you on what's going on between fourth through twelfth grade. If you're a parent and you go, I have a fourth through twelfth grader uh, in my life, then make sure that we have your email address. I have parents filling these out. These are in the seat back in front of you. Put your name and email address on it. Hand it to me. Send it in saying, hey, I want that parent email. I don't know why I haven't gotten it, but I want it. And you do. It gives you all the update uh, information. And just to make sure you know, we still have high school tonight at 630 Vantage in the warehouse. I got a video I want to show you of exactly what this Chicago Student Life Summer Missions Camp is going to look like. So watch this. Well, first of all, I, I need to work on my David Mead impression. I have to start off by getting flip-flops, and then I have to, and you will really like it, and we'll do worship, and, like, I need to, perf- is that, how's that? Pretty bad, pretty bad, huh? <laughs> Not even close. So I have to work on that. Hey, welcome to Youth Sports Sunday. And uh, I, I'm really hoping that this becomes a tradition around here. Uh, so this is our second one. And uh, really the, the thought behind this whole thing is that uh, our kids are really cool. And our kids do lots of amazing things. And we call it youth sports, although uh, not all of our kids who are involved in things are involved in youth sports. They're, they're also involved in drama, in theater, in music, in band. And I mean, you, the, the list goes on and on and on. And we just think that it's, it's not only appropriate, but just very cool to one Sunday out of the year, just celebrate that not only for our kids 
uh, Grace Chapel kids, but for the community. And so my desire really is that uh, this thing grows and, and gains momentum. And I would love two, three years from now, there'll be fog machines and light shows and kids from all over the community coming in with their teams. And uh, I, that's really where I hope this goes. But uh, today we've purposely invited our kids to be a part of the service. And uh, it's, it's just awesome what they do. We want to celebrate that. So if you are a kid, and I'll let you determine, you know, age-wise, whether you are one or not, I want you to stand up. Stand up if you're a kid. Because we want to love on you a little bit. And let's give all these guys a round of applause. They do some incredible things on the court, on the field, on the stage, in the arena, at rehearsal, at uh, auditions, whatever it is. They're incredible gifts of God. And we want to just love on them a little bit. So youth sports Sunday at the end, as you guys leave, we have a special gift for each one of you. So I also invited them into the service because uh, when we go through the lesson, I want you to saddle up next to mom or dad or grandma and grandpa, aunt and uncle or whatever. Sit real close to them because then when I say something, because um, I'm really going to be addressing the parents uh, in, the, in the sermon, but I want you to like elbow them in the, in, the, in the ribs really hard and say, did you hear what he just said? Did you hear what he just said? And so I want you to do that. But before we get going, every time I, I speak, I want to take advantage of giving you an archery update. And uh, archery here, his pins archery, impact archery, archery tag. We, Grace Chapel is quickly becoming, um, throughout the tri-state, known as the place for archery, which is a phenomenal story for me. I, I just can't believe it's such a cool story. Uh, we, um, as a staff team, when we were filling out our, our personal ministry goals uh, for the year several months ago, I put down, boy, it sure would be nice. I don't even know if it's possible, but it would be cool if we were... Uh, able to get into 15 schools by the end of the school year. And I don't even know if it's possible, far-reaching kind of a goal, but if we could have 100 kids uh, in our His Pens Club over there uh, registered, um, let me tell you that as of the end of this, well, we haven't even stopped, but as of, the, as of right now, we've been in 17 different public schools, and we have 120 kids in our last session over there. And it has just been a phenomenal growing story. And that's not even counting archery tag and, and, and stuff. And I got a call. I get a call every week, multiple calls a week from people, cold calls. I don't even know, don't have any relationship to Grace Chapel, um, but are calling because they've been searching for archery in the tri-state area and don't know where to go. I got a call a couple of weeks ago from a guy who uh, said, I, I didn't know where to call, so I just called up to the Ohio Department of Natural Resources and they, they told in Columbus, they told me, hey, in Southwest Ohio, if you want youth archery, you have to call Grace Chapel in Mason, Ohio. And uh, so I want to show you, I want to show you a couple of fun, short little fun videos. The first one you're going to see is, was produced, narrated, filmed, the whole shooting match by uh, students from Mason High School and they are involved in this journalism class and they have at the high school, they have an internal television show that they broadcast on at, in homeroom times every week. And um, they said, hey, we'd like to come do a story on archery tag. Uh, would you mind? And I said, let me think about that. OK, yes. Um, so they came. And so that's going to this is what was shown at, uh, at Le or Mason High School uh, a few weeks ago. Um, the uh, guy's name is Kendall put all that together. 
Uh, the second video is uh, a promotional video that was produced by our own Matt Senator here at Grace Chapel. Phenomenal videographer, editor, and uh, he put this together for me to use as a promo uh, video when we go out to out into the public. So watch these; they're really cool. Archery tag is the unique sport that combines the intensity of paintball and the skill of dodgeball. Only instead of throwing a ball. You shoot arrows, and instead of pulling a trigger, you wield a bow. Archery tag expert Kevin Schwieger introduces us to the sport. Hey, our archery tag is it's like a cross between, well, logistically, it's a cross between uh, dodgeball and paintball. And uh, you're literally shooting bows and arrows at each other. And uh, you said it just a few minutes ago, like, it's the kind of thing somebody dreams up around at the campfire or whatever. You know, hey, what would happen if we actually shot each other with arrows? So, it's, uh, it's, it's just a lot of fun. It's, um, you can play all different sorts of games, but you're actually shooting bows and arrows, hitting your buddy. Since it is so new to the Mason community, some are wondering where the sport will go. Schwieger talks to us about the future of archery tag. It's new to us, and so our, our hope is that it would just explode in growth. And so our hope is to do leagues, junior high, high school, adult leagues, open times. Uh, it's part of our youth ministry here every week, but um, we want to just... The more kids, the better. I'd love to have a million kids around here just rotating in and out, in and out. So uh, we really want to put together some leagues next. As archery tag grows, so will its popularity with Mason High School students and the community as a whole. I'm Kendall Jones, NBC News. Very, very cool. Uh, before, we, before we leave the archery topic, I uh, just want to give a, kind of a shout out. Um, Adam uh, Geringer, you in his service, Adam? Kind of good. He'd probably feel uncomfortable, but I don't care. It's just Adam. But uh, so anyway, Adam Geringer is on staff with 121 back-to-back ministries and has recently just actually been assigned to Grace Chapel Archery, almost in a full-time role. And as we go to these schools next year, not only are these uh, Mason, Lakota, Kings, junior high, high school, and now on into elementary uh, intermediate schools, uh, and we're being invited every quarter, every trimester, whatever they do. And so uh, next year we're going to have probably... 50, 60, 70 visits to these schools and Adam and, and uh, he's going to have to get somebody else or have to find a helper for him. It's, it's going to be responsible for that, providing leadership to those school visits all year round, several times a week. And uh, uh, Adam raises support full time through back to back and just doesn't have a whole lot of uh, discretionary funds. And Adam needs his own personal bow. Uh, not only just to become a better archer so that he can be more valid as a teacher, but um, we, we actually use uh, a compound bow in our demonstration there at the schools, and it becomes a, it's a teaching tool for him. And so um, I would like to raise some money through the church to buy Adam a really nice bow. So if you feel led to chip in for that, you can give me the money. You can write a check to Grace Chapel, put in the memo, Adam's bow or his pins, archery or whatever. You can put it in a box, and we'll try to get Adam a real nice bow for next year. But anyway, very cool story that's impacting lots and lots of kids, uh, Adam and others, uh, just building into the, the hearts of our kids around here. All right, so uh, we are finishing up this series, The Path to Stronger Relationships. 
And uh, we've been loosely following the chapters in this book. And, and Jeff has talked about this book a couple of times. There are plenty of copies out there if you'd like to, to buy one or if you don't have the money, just take one. Um, it's called The Ten Mistakes Parents Make With Teenagers. And uh, like I said, we've been kind of loosely following some of the principles as uh, the book was actually redone and, and edited by Jeff and Deb. And uh, so we're going to continue wrapping up the series today. And, and uh, not by accident, the topic for this week is one of the chapters, and it's called, uh, and remember that it's the 10 mistakes that we make. So this is called, one of the mistakes we make is the failure to um, communicate approval and acceptance to our kids. And it's, it's very uh, apropos for this topic for Youth Sports Sunday because our kids are involved in so many things. And a, and a lot of times we do a really good job at uh, giving them praise, helping them feel loved, all that kind of stuff. But there are so many times when we inadvertently or just don't know how to do it, we don't do a good job of communicating approval and acceptance for our young ones. And uh, I, this morning, I, I thought of three things or three ways in which or reasons why I think that we... Uh, sometimes don't do a good job at that. And I'm just going to tell you right up front what those are, and then we'll tackle each one as, a, as, uh, as we get to it. Number one, I, I think probably the biggest reason is we misunderstand really who these young humans are. Where'd they come from? <laughs> Why do they act like that? Who are they anyway? And what's that significance in the grand scheme of God's creation? Who are these people, these little people anyway? Secondly, we misunderstand what they really need. We know the surface levels of their needs, but we really misunderstand the depth of what these kids really need. And thirdly, I think that just we're uncomfortable with how to do it. You know, we're making this up as we go along as parents, and sometimes we just don't know the best way or how to do that. Uh, incidentally, I'm a real believer in the fact that it is never too late to start anything. And so I'm going to be addressing a lot of the, the topics are going to be talking to parents with, with kids, elementary, junior high, high school kids. But it is never too late. The kids, whether you're a kid of 50 or 60 or 70, you, you never stop needing these things. These are biblical truths. They're not specific necessarily to little kids. And so if you're a parent, your kids have grown up, they're out of the house. This is this is applicable to you directly. So. Pay attention. Don't don't zone out uh, on me. Okay. so let's go back. We misunderstand who these young humans are. I'm going to ask you a kind of a rhetorical question, but it's actually a very deep question. Did you realize that kids were actually created in the image of God, too? Yeah, I I think, you know, your first reaction to that question is, well, duh, yeah. But but once you start thinking about it, yeah, I, I think we kind of think, well, you know, Regular people, big people, adult people. We, were, we, as humans, were created in the image of God. But did you realize that your small one was actually created in the image of God? We're all familiar with the creation story. God created the heavens and the earth, the land and the sea, the, the, the sky, the, the vegetation on that land, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea and the animals that roam the land. And when God was finished creating what we call the outdoors, he created us, humans, people. But after Adam and Eve, every single person that's ever walked the face of the earth did not join this earth as an adult, right? And incidentally, God is really the only one that is able to create anything. And we do not have the ability to create things. 
You know, you hear people say, well, I created a new recipe or I created this invention and it does this or that. But really, that's a misuse of that word. We don't create anything. We don't have the ability to create something out of nothing. That's a God thing. Only God has the ability to create. There was nothing. And now there is something. And all of that was done very, very purposely, very thought out. It was a part of his plans, a part of his nature to create us. And God didn't create us to begin life as an adult. God created us to begin life as an infant and to be grown up in a family, to be impacted by that family, and even as kids to be a valuable, integral part of our community. That was his design. That was his purpose. And he played that out in creation. All you have to do is look back into his history, his story, to realize that when you boil it all down... The story of our universe is really a story of a father and a child. A father, God, and his child, Jesus. And then, by extension, a father, God, and his children, us. It's a story of a dad and a son, or a dad and a daughter. That's the story of our universe. And I think it's really, really important for us to understand that. And not only did God create us out of nothing, God created us on design for a purpose, on purpose, and in his very image, but he created us male and female on design for a purpose and in his image. Check out uh, Genesis chapter 1, 27, and I want you to, to count how many times it repeats this. Genesis 1, 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Listen to this, my favorite part. Male and female, he created them. He didn't just create bleh, people. And it definitely wasn't by, well, I guess this just happened and now I'm going to work with it. No, he created once there was nothing and now there is something by design on purpose and in my... I'm, Speaking of God here, in my image, I'm going to put my very nature into these humans, my creation, my children, and very specifically and intentionally, I'm going to create them male and female. And I think that's really important when we look at our kids. God gave us each a heart, and He didn't just give us a heart that's the same, He gave us masculine and feminine hearts. And I realize that some Masculine hearts, you know, there's some crossover here as far as things we like and dislike. That's not what I'm talking about, likes and dislikes. I'm talking about the very nature of God put into us. Boys are born with a a masculine heart. Girls are born with a feminine heart. And you don't have to be a brain surgeon or an anthropologist to figure that out. All you have to do is watch. Right? What do boys do? Boys like to play army men. Boys like to play cowboys and Indians. Boys like to shoot stuff, to throw stuff, to kill things. All right? That's just in their nature. They don't have to... Nobody has to tell them to do that. They pick up a banana and it kind of looks like a gun. Bang, bang, bang with my banana or my, my rubber band or whatever. We all teach our kids how to ride a bicycle when they're four or five years old, whatever. Our daughter, Whitney, she was like 12 or whatever. No, she's... But... Um, Four or five years old, but you learn how to ride a bicycle and you take those training wheels off for the first time and you're like, okay, there you go. Okay, so a boy learns how to ride a bicycle and then two days later, what what happens? It's not good enough to ride my bicycle. What do I want to do? 
I want to jump my bicycle, right? <laughs> I want to jump my bicycle. You know, I, uh, I grew up, some of our, our young people might not, you know, this might not mean anything to you, but I grew up in the evil Knievel era. That's my, my age, right? In, the, in his heyday of jumping stuff and buses and, and the Snake River and all that. And so I was, a, I was second, third, fourth, fifth grader in, in that era. And so, man, I, my friends and I, we all day long, all we want to do is jump our bicycle. We'd build a ramp and cement blocks and, and measure it all out and go down the hill. And, and uh, in my, I lived in a little teeny tiny town in northern Indiana called Buck Creek, Indiana, when I was in third and fourth grade. And the town had like 200 people in it. No stoplights, one little general store. And so you, we could just put our ramps right out there in the in the street, any street, doesn't matter because there was never any cars. And if a car came, they'd just go around. We'd wait for it. And so uh, I, I got to be the, the bicycle jumping king of Buck Creek, Indiana. And uh, OK, so no, no longer is it good enough to ride your bike. You have to jump your bike. OK, and no longer pretty soon was it good enough to jump your bike. You had to jump stuff with your bike. Right. And no longer was it good enough to jump like bricks and things. We had to jump people with our bike. And so we would take turns, my, my friends and I, and we'd take turns lining kids up behind the ramp and see how many kids we could jump. Well, I got to where I could jump in fourth grade. I could jump 10 kids laying down uh, behind this ramp. Well, I was smart enough to know that um, I would get in trouble if I landed on a neighbor kid because, you know, then I'd get in trouble. So I was smart enough to know that if I want to not get in trouble, I should always put my sister at the end of the line. Okay, so so I didn't really care if I landed on Donna because that's no biggie because she's just my sister. So she was always the tenth one laying in the line. Boys are like that. They're just like that. Okay, what are girls like? We like we we build our nest. We dress up. We paint our nails. And it's not a. This is not a like stereotypical. Oh, he's being insensitive. It's just God puts His nature in to us. He created us male and female on purpose. My wife, Kim, who you'll hear from a little bit later, she is as tomboy as you can get. If I say, what do we want to do today, honey? It has to involve like a four wheeler or, you know, something mowing the lawn or whatever. You know, she, she likes to do tomboy farm kid stuff, but she'll tell you over and um, over and over again that when I was little, I wanted to build my nest in my in my room. And so from my sitting on my bed, you know, my pens and pencils were here. My notebooks were there. My drawing pad was here. My this was there. It was all arranged. And and because God was giving her her hit her a feminine heart on purpose. God created us on purpose. You know, speaking of archery, you give a boy. Or you give a girl a bow and arrow, what do they want to do? They want to repeat the form exactly so that I can hit exactly in the target and do really well. You give a bow and arrow to a boy, what do they want to do? Hey, let's shoot it up in the air and see how close we can get it to our feet, you know? So, all this to say that our kids are not just objects for us to help hope that they just survive until they could become a real person. God intentionally gave us them and they are our farm system basically they are the they are the next generation you know God, god's story in our world is only a generation from failure it's always a generation 
from failure. Because if our next generation doesn't carry it on, it disappears. And so our kids are our farm system. We, they're, they're not just people that we hope, well, let's hope they just survive until they become a real person. We need to build into their lives so that they, they will either, you know, they will either become the adults of the next generation who guide our country and our world away from Jesus Christ, or they become the warriors who build God's kingdom in our world. And which do we want them to be? And it all boils down to our understanding of who they are and why they are here. Here's the next question. This is part of your homework for the next week. This is not a rhetorical question. I want you to answer this question for yourself in this next week. By understanding who these young people really are, how does that change my actions and my verbs, verbalizing messages and my attitudes toward those people, the people that we call kids? If I truly understand why they are here and who they, from who they came, then how does that change my message to them? Okay. Secondly, we misunderstand what they really, really need. You know, we, we recognize we, it's a no-brainer. We don't even have to think about it. We realize that kids need love. They need shelter. They need protection. You know, those physical kinds of things they need for us to feed them. And this leads me to uh, my Kevin, you're a moron story. Uh, if, if you're new to hearing me speak, you, you have to understand that every sermon includes a Kevin, you're a moron story. Well, this is it. So when our kids were like late preschool on up to in their early school age years, um, every once in a while, Kim would have to work at the Y late or had a project or something. She'd be away from the evening for the evening. And, and I'd have to like make sure everything goes all right. And um, so every once in a while, she'd come home and, and she, the kids would be in their pajamas ready to go to bed. And she, she would say, OK, so what everybody, you know, what do you have for supper? And I would say, well, I had hot dogs and uh, spaghetti or macaroni and cheese or whatever. And, and she'd say, well, what about the kids? I'm like, I forgot to feed the kids. And uh, to this day, Whitney is scarred because of I, I'd always forget to feed them. But uh, we, have, we recognize that they need that. But what do kids really, really need? When you boil it down, what do our kids really need? I'm not talking to survive physically, but I'm talking to thrive and become that warrior for the next generation. What do they need? I believe that every kid needs a question answered. And whether you answer that verbally, hopefully, whether you answer it non-verbally, hopefully, many, many times, every kid must have this answer, this question answered. And it's different for boys and girls. I believe that every boy must have the question answered, do I have what it takes? And I realize that, that uh, many of our families are, have been broken and, and there's all kinds of disjointedness in a lot of our families. And, and you know, whether that's the case or it's neither here nor there. But um, these questions really, really need to be answered by a father um, for them to have their most impact. A boy, every boy needs that question answered. Dad, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to become the man I want to be? And if that answer, if that question goes unanswered, it's a really big problem as guys grow up into adulthood. You know, if a dad answers that question to the kid multiple times, do I have what it takes? That kid, as it grows up to, into an adulthood to become a man, is much less likely to have to find that answer from some other woman or from some other illicit 
relationship. If a mom and a dad answer that question positively and often to their boy, do I have what it takes? That boy, when he becomes a man, is much less likely to have to seek validation in illicit relationships or what they can find on the Internet or what they can achieve as far as expensive toys or promotions or whatever, because that question's already been answered for them. I know I have what it takes because my dad told me so many, many, many times, verbally and non-verbally. There are multitudes of boys, multitudes of boys who grow up to be men who seek all of those things, all of those shallow things, because that question was never answered by their dad. Son, you have what it takes. Uh, Every girl also needs to have her answer, her question answered. And her question is, am I beautiful? I asked that question in the first service and there was a there was an audible. I don't want to say a hum, but an audible kind of sigh or I could hear it coming from our women and our girls. You think back if you're a girl or if you're a woman of any age. Can you think of the time where you asked that question, not maybe not verbally, but through your actions, dad, mom, am I beautiful? And the problem that has occurred in your life, the wound maybe because that question was never answered for you. Dad, am I beautiful? Am I a beautiful person? Am I worth fighting for? You know, if a daughter has that question answered multiple times in multiple different ways by her father and her mother, then that daughter is much less likely to have to find that from some guy in the backseat of a car in high school. You know, she finds herself being 15, 16, 17 years old and some boy's hands are going someplace where they need not ought to be. If her dad has answered that question, daughter, you are beautiful. And she knows it and it's firm in her mind. Then she can say to that boy, hey, I don't I'm my dad. I know I'm beautiful. Get your hands off of me. I don't have to seek that from you to determine whether I'm beautiful or not. Leave me alone. If a girl's question is answered many times, many different ways, often by her mom and dad, you are beautiful, then she doesn't have to grow up and seek every, buy every new diet tool, every new surgery, every new piece of whatever that's going to make her beautiful because she knows she's beautiful. It's been answered already. Uh, Kim is in, and uh, it's funny, the last four or five weeks, Deb has given a kind of a cameo appearance. And so they're, they're off on vacation. I said, okay, it's your turn. You have to, no questions or no, no. Uh, uh, so Kim's going to come up and talk a little bit about that, that question that was answered for her. First of all, if they ever give me a mic when I'm back there, y'all better just run for the hills because it's not going to be pretty. Anyway, I grew up in a very strong Christian home. My mom became a Christian when I, when actually when she was pregnant with me and my dad a few years later. Um, but my parents were German, hence the long blonde hair and blue eyes. So if any of you know what German people are like, they are very stoic. They are very hardworking. They are very stubborn. And they are very internal. They do not vocalize emotion. They do not show emotion. So I grew up in a home 
we were very well taken care of. We have a really strong family. Um, but I was never, as far as I can remember, and I pretty much remember everything, I do not remember being told that I was loved. I never doubted that I wasn't loved. I don't remember being hugged, very rarely. Um, my mom's mom would have me sit on her lap sometimes, and she called me Susie. I have no idea why. <laughs> but anyway, I, I don't ever remember any physical contact, no hugs, no I love yous, because that's how German people are. So that's how I grew up, and I just thought that's how it was. And, you know, I never, I never felt unloved. I felt protected. My dad was six foot two. He was 250 pounds, and he had a rack full of guns. I was well protected. No wonder I couldn't get any dates. <laughs> but anyway, um, I decided when we were ready to have children that I was going to change that. And I decided that I was going to hug my kids all the time and kiss them all the time. And so I did. Now, Whitney, if you've seen her, she's just as cute as a button. And she was so darn cute, she was easy to love and just kiss on all the time. And she was so sweet, and she put herself in time out. It was just way too easy. Logan, on the other hand, if you've ever met Logan, um, he was very difficult to love. So it's not always easy. He wouldn't sit still long enough for me to even hug him. By the time Kevin came home from work every day, I pretty much had uh, Einstein hair because I was frazzled. I'd been with Logan all day long. She'd say, take him, do something. Get I don't care. Just take him someplace. Get him out of here. <laughs> he was a, let's say, an active child. But to this day, he's 23 years old, and he will come up and hug his mama. And he's very protective of his mama. And uh, I went to the first uh, softball game this past Tuesday, and Logan plays on the softball team which is amazing in itself. And Logan's the only one who wears cut-off jean shorts to play softball. Only a mother could love a kid out there playing softball in his cut-off jean shorts. But anyway, I decided that when my kids were little. I was going to hug them and, and kiss them and make them know that they were loved. And it's never too late to start. My parents didn't do it. I didn't realize it was an issue until, until later. But I decided I was going to make a change and that it's never too late to start that. It's funny because her mother is still, is still like that. And uh, she's, a, she's a side hugger. I mean, she, you could tell it's so awkward for her that you, you approach her, you're leaving their home or whatever. And she, you can tell she wants like to do her duty to, to hug you. And especially because I'm like the in-law or whatever, very close. If it's, but it's, it's so funny because it's so awkward. So, you know, she'll just do like the side hug, kind of like... You know, and so we've been married for 27 years. And I still do this every, you know, every time I, I maneuver myself around so that she's forced to like, and I can tell she's just like as stiff as a board. Like, this is awkward. This is awkward. This is awkward. But I do it just to be mean. I think it's funny. But uh, <clears throat> so, but anyway, we, you know, every kid needs to know, have that question answered and also needs to know I am loved. I'm worth fighting for. And uh, that goes a long way. Well, we're so uncomfortable in doing this and uh, some of us do better than others, but it's uncomfortable uh, knowing how to do it. 
And this is kind of a double-edged sword. It's a good news, bad news kind of thing. Because fortunately, when we say the right things, when we do the right things, when we give those messages, it, it lasts a lifetime. It's embedded into our kids' DNA from then on out. And it can reap huge benefits for them later in life. Conversely, when we say things and when we do things that are not thought out and, and are hurtful, those also can last a lifetime, can go down deep and last years and years and years. Uh, Ransom Heart Ministries and a, and a ministry I'm involved with called Heart of the Outdoors. We both do uh, a lot of retreat kind of uh, discipleship thing uh, programs with men. And one of the messages that we give, which is the most heart wrenching, is when we help guys especially to to identify those wounds that they received when they were young. And we call them wounds because they truly are That's so accurate when when you know, there's so many almost every man can look back and woman can look back and very clearly identify a wound because of something their father or mother said to them that stuck. And their psyche, their, their emotions, their their success in relationships have all been impacted by that wound. When their father said something like, can't you do anything right? Might not have been intentional, but it just came out. Maybe when somebody said, well, you'll, you'll never amount to much. Or why can't you be as smart as your brother? And they don't even have to be words. Guy told me one time, he said, my dad, common story. My dad left my mom when I was young. My mom really didn't know how to identify with me. And the message that I received was, you're going to have to do this all by yourself. Growing up, you're going to you're going to have to do life by yourself. And he said that that message words weren't even used, but that message that was given to me has made my relationship with Christ so much more difficult because I, I can't trust. I can't have faith because my dad told me without even using words that you're going to have to grow up and do life all by yourself. When we receive wounds, they just dig deep and they last for years and years. It's never too late, as Kim said, to fix that. But you have to understand the depth of what... And you can all... I, I, I just bet you most of you are thinking of something like that that was done or said to you that impacted you. The fortunate side is that when we do good messages, when we do good actions, when we build into... Uh, our kids, when we answer those questions for our kids, those two also, those also impact us for years and years and years. I call them building blocks of strength. Every time you answer your kid's question, do I have what it takes? Am I beautiful? In a variety of different ways, spoken and unspoken, you just build and build and build and build onto that kid's building block and their foundation for strength. I was just reflecting uh, back to my own mom and dad and how they played this out in my life. My, my mother was um, my fourth grade teacher, which was kind of weird and awkward at some sometimes. But um, she was, this was back in the early 70s, I guess. And it was back in the kind of the hippie flower child self-esteem era. And uh, her, her teacher staff team was an experiment in the state of Indiana um, in building self-esteem into their kids. And so that fourth grade year, which I just happened to be there at that time, they intentionally, everything, their curriculum and everything they did was an experiment by the state educational system on how to build self-esteem into the kids. And, uh, and, and she didn't stop with that 
And her message to me, and, and this continues on to this day, her message, and she was verbal about it, her message to me was, you can do it. I don't care what it is, Kevin, you can do it. If all of those kids can write a paper, you can do it. If all of those kids can go out for track at a brand new school, you can do it. If all of those people can do it, you can do it. And to this day, she says things like that. Those were building blocks into my life. And today, I have no doubt I can do it. Because my mom told me over and over and over again. My dad, so hers was verbal. My dad was, uh, his was shown to me. His, his was um, by example. And his message to me was, fear nothing. And I am so thankful for that message because my dad showed me from the time I was really little that you can you don't have to be afraid of anything physical emotional spiritual fear nothing I mean this is the this is the dude that killed a 14 foot python in East Africa with his hands and yeah whoa it was cool we still have the skin and uh so I mean and, and he modeled that and, and not only physical things. I mean, he was, did amazing things, but just and spiritually and emotionally. And his message to me was fear nothing. And those things, those building blocks have lasted for me to this day and beyond. So every time we answer those questions for our kids, we build into them. Well, as we close, I want to give you a, a challenge, kind of some homework to do. And this um, uh, I really want to challenge you to do this. The name of the sermon or the title of the sermon was renaming your kid. So taking what we've said up to this point, I really want to challenge you. I want to uh, double dog dare you to rename your kid. And here's what, uh, here's what I mean by that. <clears throat> the American Indian culture, a lot of African cultures, South American cultures, um, name children by what, what their lifestyle or something that's, that's important or characteristic about that kid. And uh, we just have missed the boat, in my opinion, in our American culture uh, by doing that. Um, so I determined, uh, several years ago that I was going to give my kids a new name and, uh, our son who's now 23 at this time, he was late high school going off to college and Logan is a, a motorhead. If it doesn't have an engine, he's not interested. And, uh, he's, he's, he's very, he's a prodigy when it comes to, to engine repair and, and motors and stuff like that. Very, very talented kid. Um, but he is one of those. Have you ever, uh, heard the phrase, boy, if you fell into a septic tank, you'd come out with a new suit on every time. Or you come out smelling like a rose or whatever. Logan is, is like that. And there is something about that kid that if he fell into a septic tank, he'd come out with a tuxedo on spotless every single time. He just has the ability to, to make things happen. And um, so I, I went to a machine shop friend of mine and I, and I bought a piston, like a, in a, in an engine that part, a piston of a car. And uh, I had engraved on the front of that piston, the man with the new suit. And took him out, out back over here at Kings Island one time uh, after his senior year of high school and I said, Logan, I want you to have this gift because this is going to be your new name that I'm giving you. You are now, from now on, you are the man with the new suit because I just love this about you. And uh, he keeps that on a, in a place of honor at Mercedes in his, in his bay, in his workshop. And... Uh, our daughter, Whitney, um, I had tried over the years, I think fairly successful, to, to answer the question, um, are, am I beautiful, Dad? And um, she is beautiful outwardly, I think so. Um, 
she's also beautiful inwardly. And the layers of her beauty go deep emotionally and spiritually and talent-wise and, and her integrity and all. And it goes, goes very, very deep. And so I went to Michael's um, and you can buy these like make your own snow globe kit things. And uh, so then the, and recently before that, we were at the beach. And so I brought back some sand and some seashells sea and uh, I put those in there and made my own snow globe and then put a, an engraved plate on the front that says deeply beautiful. And took her out to eat and said, Whitney, before you go off to college, I want you to know that you are deeply beautiful. That's my new name for you. And uh, she, she keeps that in her dorm room at school and in her bedroom at home. And uh, so I want to challenge you. Take your kid. First of all, understand who they are from where they came and whose they are. Understand that they have this deep-seated need to hear from you. Understand that you're not going to be able to do it perfectly, but give it your best shot. And take that kid aside at some point, whether they're 2 or 10 or 20, and say, here's what I'm going to call you from now on, because I understand who you are, and I love you, and you're worth fighting for. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for being with us today. We thank you for the gift that you have given us of our kids. Um... We just pray that in our inadequacies sometimes, um, that, that you would just give us the strength, the gumption, the creativity to show these kids you. And that when we open our mouths, that your words would come out because uh, we feel inadequate about that so many times. And so uh, we pray that you give us the gift of being able to speak into their hearts. They are awesome and we love them. And we thank you so much for them. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen. All right. You kids, and you can determine if you're a kid or not. I don't care. You're not going to be scolded. But uh, on your way out, both of these doors, we have a really cool gift for you. And so make sure you pick that up. Hey, have an awesome, cool, neato Sunday. Good morning.